Good afternoon, church. My name is Brett. I happen to be pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Well, we've got a guest speaker today. And uh, before I introduce him, I'd like to say a few things because I think the climate of our country needs to be addressed from this platform with respect to how we best should posture ourselves as an answer. First of all, I am privileged to be able to pastor you, an eclectic, diverse group of folks. Only God could do what he has done with us, white folk. Latino, Asian, not just tokens of any black, but real representation. And yet with a sensitivity toward each other's ethnic background that allows us to be enriched by somebody else's experience rather than muting that so that we as a dominant force here in this community can express our own ethnicity. But like a beautiful mosaic, we can have our tile be reflected in the larger picture. I'm grateful to pastor you all. But at times like this, I realize there's a reason that God made us the way he did. The world is looking for answers on how to fix ethnic issues. And about every two months, there's something that comes up in our country that takes off the Band-Aid from a wound that is never healed hundreds and hundreds of years old, and it, re it reflects our problems. And one of the reasons God has established us is so that we might practice on one another so that we might be an answer to the world, that we can enjoy the diversity in our midst and see God do something very special with us that is substantive and not just window dressing, that we really care about what the other person is feeling. We ask. Even though we may not have an answer, we show concern by asking. The Trayvon Martin case has been very, very difficult for our country. The verdict came down last Saturday, eight days ago. And I did not intentionally say anything on that Sunday. Because I don't think it's proper for an ambassador of the kingdom who is duly assigned to make sure that he represents God and not his own opinion. I don't think it's proper for him to get up and speak out of his own emotion, nor his own ethnicity. But he ought to have a kingdom perspective. So I, I did not say anything because 12 hours isn't enough for me to process. Now that's just me. Maybe y'all had God's answer immediately. I didn't. Now I know what answer came to me, but it may not have been God. So I needed time to process. Normally, it takes on things of this magnitude about 48 hours. Now, if we were a mono-ethnic congregation, it'd be a lot easier to talk to y'all. We just pretty much give an answer and all identify with the pain and go on and say we need justice. And I'm not saying that issues don't need to be addressed. I'm just saying that with our congregation, there are sensitivities that need to be cared for. There are other folks in here that don't come from where I came from. By the way, you do remember I am black. <laughs> so I needed time to process to make sure that I delivered a kingdom perspective that hit everybody and didn't accuse anybody. 
Secondly, the issue of, of profiling has emerged as something that is questionable in our country, and rightly, it should be addressed, and it causes pain. And, and, and let me say about profiling that there, there, is, there is a wrong way to profile somebody, and there is a right way. If someone were to rightly profile me, I would like them to start with, that is a good-looking black man. <laughs> Secondly, he is a fabulous Christian trying every day to please his God. He's a good husband. He's a great father. Profile me like that. But when you add your prejudice to the profile, then you already prejudge me and think that I'm something that I'm probably not. That is not just white to black. But that happens with black to other people. 9-11 happened. I had difficulty getting on the plane and seeing a person of Middle Eastern extraction on there with me. Didn't mean I didn't board. I just had to think about it. I wonder. All based on my inward tendency to put people in boxes that God has not. So as much as we would like to point the finger, God seems to always, every time I want to cast blame someplace else, he's saying, wait, 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 let's look in the mirror. Let's look in the mirror. It's not the blame doesn't need to be cast, but make sure that the heart is right before the circumstances get fixed. That's a kingdom perspective. And it allows somebody to be the best solution to the problem rather than just trying to legislate things. Now, legislation will work until people's hearts get right. But it works better longer if people's hearts are right who are doing the legislation and for whom they are doing the legislation. So the kingdom perspective should be that which tries to get down into the heart, not just change the form. All of this caused me to say, I need some time to think about this. And as a result, I've come to the point of saying, we as a people are positioned at the right time, in the right spot, to do something really neat. Because our world is broken, and they are looking for someplace, somebody, to give them answers about how it can be fixed. And this is why God has established us. Oh, it is hard to build like this. It's not easy. The cross-currents of thought between black and white and Asian and Latino are always there under the surface and now they just come to the surface and it's important that we identify them because we we would not be wise as a people just to ignore these moments I've never shied away from controversy in fact most of the people around me are always trying to tell me pastor please don't mention that don't go there this week don't don't we we, we have we have we're still dealing with the last thing we we dealt with and so controversy is not something I shy away from but I want to make sure that on times like this, we understand why God has put us together. It is not just so that we can display something to people and say, look how reconciled they are. It is so that we can do something to make an impact in the world. So that the world will come to us and say, how do you do that? How in the world do you have substantive relationships in your setting between black and white folk where nobody is profiling, nobody is prejudiced, nobody, everybody's trying to figure out how they can add value and receive value from the other party. And nobody is trying to figure out how to be colorblind. I don't like that phrase. Because if you're colorblind, that means you don't notice me. 
I want you to notice me, and I want to notice you. I just don't want you to have any prejudice when you see what you see. It's important for us to respond in a healthy way because many environments don't know what it's supposed to be like. And the kingdom is the place where God births perfect unity. Our job is to preserve it. Paul said, with no selfish ambition, no malice, preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And this is in the midst of people who were selfish. Jews and Gentiles that did not get along. Every time a Jew went to a Gentile's house, ribs were served. Shrimp, lobster. And the Gentile was happy, but the Jew wasn't. Things were always in flux with these people because life just didn't fit the way they had grown up with. And yet Paul said, I do not want there to be any difference of opinion with respect to the priority of unity. You need to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace regardless of how different you are because your differences are supposed to be those which add value to you rather than separating you. Mm, Half of you mad at me. All right. I want to pray for the nation and I'd like to pray for the Martins and ask God to help. Lord, I'm asking that you would please inspire the pulpits around the country to be places of healing and reflection and wholeness and that you would help our nation to heal from this wound. Lord, that you would help the Martins as they mourn over the loss of their child. Please gain the perspective and Holy Spirit comfort them. And Lord, would you please reveal yourself to Mr. Zimmerman. Open his eyes so he can find you and love you and protect him against vigilantes that would want to do him harm. In Jesus' name, amen. Alan Platt is our speaker today. Pastor Platt is a visionary leader and founder of Doxa Deo. He's from Pretoria, South Africa. He pastors a small work there called Doxa Deo of 30,000 people. Just a little tiny, tiny, tiny work. He has nine campuses around the city, and he's represented internationally in three other countries. Pretoria is a home base, and he is changing the environment there, and his ministry has been birthed in the environment of reconciliation. Since 1993, he has been pastoring this congregation, and during that time, South Africa has gone through its moment of transition, and they have been at the forefront of seeing substantive change from black to white. It's amazing. He's an agent of transformation in the lives of individuals, local churches, and corporate structures of society. He's married to his dear bride, Liana, and they have two children, Duncan, 24, and Amy, 22. I think it's sovereign that we have a white South African preaching to us on this Sunday. We planned this like eight, nine months ago. The other services have loved it. Would you please give him, Pastor Platt, a warm Grace Covenant welcome as he comes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Pastor Britt, and uh, privileged to be with you. I... um, 
I really count it a privilege to be with you in this moment of the history of your nation and to be with you as a church. And I do feel very white. <laughs> but a good looking white man. <laughs> You see, this is the third service. I'm starting to get liberty here. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I really want to thank Pastor Brett. Um, as we've just shared some life together the last few days, I've become aware of the maturity of this church and the maturity of your leader. Um, and the privilege that I have of sharing with you at this particular moment. I somehow find myself uh, coming to the US and finding interesting moments that I have to engage in. I remember years ago, I was scheduled to come to the US and as I was on my way here, 9-11 took place. And I stepped right into that, having to speak to that. A while ago, I was invited to speak at the State Senate of Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I was scheduled to speak at a luncheon where a bunch of the senators and all the people that are committed to the Senate would have been, and um, just the previous day, they had passed the bill on the, the controversial bill of immigration, and here I step into that, and... Um, one of the, the weird moments was when I went to California, uh, not to California, to, to Colorado and uh, was scheduled to speak there just the week that they passed the bill on legalizing marijuana. Didn't quite know what to say to them, <laughs> except that it's cool, man, it's cool, or something like that. I, <laughs> but I realized the weight of this moment. And I count it an incredible privilege to be able to speak to you. As a church that is positioned in such a way that I believe you're called to prophetically speak to this nation. Uh, just because of the very fundamental construct of how you think about church and sharing life together and the way that you have constituted yourselves as your pastor has communicated. I do believe that God is calling the church to really stand out as a light in times where we realize how damaged and broken our society is. We become the alternative reference to a broken world. And uh, Paul writes about that when he he writes to the church in Philippi, in Philippians 2. And I'd like for us to read that portion of Scripture. In Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. 
Isn't that amazing? God works something in us, and then we are to work it out. We're to make it visible. We're to make it tangible. Work out because God is working in you to do uh, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Listen to this. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We, we sang the song today about God being our light. And it's true, He is the light of our lives. But as He becomes light to us, the Bible is very clear that that light now becomes our responsibility. It becomes the way we engage life. We now become shining lights. We become the very expression, the very reference of what God represents. And it affects our lives. Um, as I communicate this to you, I want to make you aware of a book. That, this is the first book that I've written. It's called We Start at Finish. Um, really, because Jesus meant something really profound when he called out on the cross, it is finished. When Jesus spoke about it being finished, he didn't mean that it's now over, he meant he's brought something to completion. And that moment has forever affected the destiny of humanity. Because when history recorded the death of one man, eternity recorded the repositioning of humanity. And we are included in that moment, in that reference. It's amazing what that reference, when you deeply understand it, can mean in your life. You know, many times we have other references that affect our lives. If, uh, I wonder, are there any redskin supporters in the house here this morning? All right, we have a few brave guys here. Okay, redskin supporters. We... I understand the chaplain of the Redskins is in the house. All right. But it's amazing, I'm sure, as with many other sports teams, when the team wins, something happens to those supporters. Suddenly they get an attitude. Suddenly they don't walk, they move. And they can't wait to engage you to tell you about the game. And if you ask them the question, who won, they would normally answer, we won. So what do you mean we won? You did nothing, man. Say, <laughs> so, hey, no, when the Redskins won, I won. You see, their victory now becomes my victory. 
Their moment of triumph that has been recorded and captured now has an effect on how I think, on how I feel, on how I speak. Folks, we must realize that there is a recorded victory that can never be challenged again. And we are included in that moment. His victory is my victory. His triumph is my triumph. Because he won, I win. I'm included in a reference. And it's that very reference when I start to discover it and when I understand it, that deeply affects my life. It deeply affects the way I think. It deeply affects the way I Consider who I am because I find myself in a new reference. I find myself in, in a new identity. And it's amazing how Jesus, when he walked on the earth, was, was really leading people into that understanding because it's as if when we find each other in Christ, it becomes a new point of departure. And all other differences and all other references pale in comparison to the new definition that we find in Christ. It's interesting when Jesus chose his disciples. It seems as if he intentionally chose differences. Because those differences, when they came together in Christ, formed a new unity. It's, it's interesting when you just look at personality differences. I mean, you have these two guys, Peter and John. How different. I mean, John is this soft-spirited, lovable individual. He's, he's the one that the Bible says Jesus loved. He, he was just this incredibly lovable person. And then you have Peter. Peter's this abrasive. He's just this wild. I mean, if he's not busy jumping out of a boat, he shouldn't be doing. He's chopping off ears. He's, he's, just, he's just always causing a raucous. I mean, Peter's just this incredibly uncontainable guy. But the amazing thing, they found each other, him and John, in Christ. And if you read the Bible, who are the two disciples you always see hanging together? Peter and John. There's something of, of a leveling in Christ. Well, you find two other disciples. It's Philip and Thomas. Man, Philip is this, this just naive, believing everything kind of disciple. When Jesus makes statements like, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, it's Philip that says, oh, Lord, just show us the Father. He, you know, he's so quick to believe. He's so quick to respond. He's so quick to just embrace. But not Thomas. Thomas is a difficult customer. He's the rational, intellectual. Listen, I'm just not going to believe this until I see it. You know, I want to touch it. I want to know what it is. Go look at the two guys hanging together in the Bible. But the best one for me is Matthew, the tax collector. 
and Simon the Zealot. <laughs> Folks, we don't understand how deep that divide was. You see, Matthew, Matthew was, was despised by the rest of the Jewish people because he was a sellout. He had now joined the ranks of the Roman oppressors and he was taking money from the Jewish people and giving it over to Rome. I mean, how could you imagine someone that was part of Israel doing that? And then on the other side was the zealots and the zealots had a zeal not for, for God. Their zeal was for nationalistic identity and as a matter of fact, if a zealot found a tax collector anywhere else outside of Christ, he would have rather have killed him. And when Jesus chooses his disciples, he says, um, I think I'll have a tax collector and a zealot. Bring them into my team. You know, when I listen to your pastor this morning, I'm hearing that spirit. You're building a church, not because it's the easy way, but because we want to reflect something of a new definition of finding Christ as the reference of our lives. And it's within Christ, the new Christ life, that we reach to each other in our difficulty, in our brokenness, in our misunderstanding. And, and we say, Lord, give us the grace to somehow model and demonstrate the life that you have intended for us to live. It's amazing that in Christ we have something to say to the world. Paul writes and he says that you will shine as lights to this world. That you will influence and affect your world. That you will be an instrument of grace to this world. Folks, you know what? You have to discover that you do not just come to church for a program. You have become the program. You are the very reference of God's intent so that when you enter the spaces that you enter tomorrow, that you will not be affected by the very reference of your world, but that you will engage your world as light, a carrier of grace. I, you know, I, I, I never really understood this because I, I grew up thinking that the church was a place where people could come and kind of escape the world so that they can just be encouraged to go back and survive in the world. But in 1994, when things changed in our country, and many of you would know that's a very significant date, 1994, God deeply spoke to us as a white suburban church, and God said, things are changing in your nation, and I'm challenging you to lead your people to embrace the new dispensation so that you can truly serve the kingdom by engaging your world in a way that the world will understand more clearly the kingdom. Well, that's been a journey for us. And um, 
One of the scriptures God used to help us to understand that process was John chapter 17. Now, John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. This is just before Jesus was to leave this world. Jesus is praying, and the Bible says he's praying not just for the disciples, but for everybody far off that will believe in this word. In essence, Jesus was including us in this prayer. And when he prays, he says the following. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of this world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. I used to know that portion of Scripture very well. But then I discovered that text is in a context. And the context is a world that Christ had an issue with. And here he's praying. He says... They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, but sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth, as you have sent me into this world, I also have sent them into this world. I grappled with this scripture to understand it, and really, I didn't really understand it until one day I got a revelation. And I got this revelation while I was trying to set my dog free from fleas. So I share with you with liberty this morning the parable of the fleas. <laughs> my dog had fleas and I decided I was going to set my dog free by combing through the hair of the dog starting at the tail end. And every flea that I could find I would deliver my dog from. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but it's a very challenging exercise. And while I was busy trying to catch fleas, a friend of mine arrived and he asked me what I was doing and I explained to him my project and he said, Alan, but why don't you just go to the store and buy a flea collar? I thought, well, there's an idea I never thought about. So I went to the store and bought the flea collar and put it around the neck of the dog. And within three days, all the fleas are gone. I'm amazed and intrigued, and I'm trying to figure out how does this work, because I couldn't really understand how did the fleas at the tail end know there is now a flea collar around the neck of the dog, and it's time for them to get off. I mean, how did they know it's a flea collar? I did not explain it to them. I had the instructions with me. Well, I went to my friend. I said, you better explain to me, how does this work? He said, Alan, it's actually very simple. He says, what happens is this flea collar has a powder. And when the dog moves, the hair brushes against the collar. The powder is released. It goes and sits on the skin of the dog. And then it's assimilated through the skin into the bloodstream of the dog. And the dog now builds up an immune system that empowers it not to be afraid of the fleas. So what happens now, as the blood circulates through the dog, then the flea at the tail end, when it bites the dog, the flea dies and the dog lives. And I said, hallelujah. Hallelujah, I now understand. John 17. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus was praying, right? Jesus prayed, Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the flea nest of this world. 
I don't pray that you take them out of the brokenness and the damage of this world. Put them right in between the fleas. New translation. But do something to them. Sanctify them in your truth. Lord, let truth so find opportunity in their lives that it will build an immunity within them. That it will build in a capacity within them. That when they enter into this world, they will not be affected by their world, but they will affect their world. Wow. Suddenly I realized that's the reason why people come to church every Sunday. That's the reason why you are exposed to good teaching and preaching and communicating. Why? So that truth can find opportunity in your life. So that it can so affect your life that you can change and be light. So that when you enter the world, you're not afraid of this world. You're not affected by this world. But you start to affect your well, you affect your world. So I ask the question, Lord, so how? How will we affect our world? If it's with truth. Do I now take a Bible, a big Bible, and walk into every environment and start quoting scriptures and telling people? No, no. God says, when truth affects you, it now touches you in such a way that you become an ambassador of the kingdom of God. When Jesus sent his disciples into the world, he commissioned them by saying, I send you as lambs amongst wolves. Man, that was a challenging thought. I sometimes feel so sorry for the disciples. I, I think if I was the, one of the disciples, I might have put my hand up and said, excuse me, Jesus, you sure you didn't get that thing wrong? You're sending us as wolves amongst lambs, right? Because we just feel so far more in control if we're wolves. He says, no, I'm sending you as lambs amongst wolves. I'm sending you in the power of the kingdom, which is the power of the opposite spirit. And you might feel weak, but if you come in the kingdom spirit, you will break the power of the Spirit that is prevailing. You see, where there is bitterness, I'm sending you with forgiveness. Where there's greed and self-centeredness, I'm sending you with generosity and giving. Where there's hatred, I'm sending you with love. 
And you might feel that you feel that you don't, you're not in control, but that's the way you will break that power that is functioning because you come in the power of the king. That's why Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. Because I come with another reference. It's truth that has arrested my life. And I function from truth. And therefore, I don't meet flesh with flesh. I meet flesh in the power of the resurrected life. Because I have another reference. I have the reference of an announcement. It is finished. I'm included in another definition of life. How I pray that that will define who you are as a people that have been called to affect your world. Let me bless you, Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are just so aware of the calling and the purpose of the kingdom of God upon our lives. I bless everyone in this place. May they discover themselves in truth. May they become kingdom agents. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you and good morning.